And we're live. Yo, welcome to Beat People Podcast number 82, uh, hosted by B-Boy Tech, uh, Ken Flux and Upright. And we have a special guest, the creator of the Udo Super 6, George Hearn. So uh, without further ado, let's just get into it, man. Let's get into it. Hey, welcome to the show, George. Hey, thanks for having me. Really, uh, it's a pleasure to be your guest today. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have you, man. I've, um, you know, we were just talking about Nam. I remember being at Nam, and yeah, I do kind of on purpose, even though my studio is set up this way. I did kind of angle the camera so I could be sure that that guy's <laughs> shot. <laughs> well, I must admit, I'm proud to see it sitting there in such good company. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. With the the Mo One, the Pro Three, and the Hydra Scent, that's a that's a yeah. powerful scent stack over there. Yeah, it's going to keep you busy. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. Without I was about to say keep you busy on those rainy days, but, you know. <laughs> Some of the day is. There's really not so many of those, I should imagine, there, but uh, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. The last couple of days have been pretty rainy, and, or the last couple of weeks, probably. We've got yeah. a lot of rain in, in L.A., so. Um, but we got we got my people, Ken Flux Pierce. We got Upright. Um, Upright, I'm going to start calling your studio the House of Guitars. <laughs> yeah. and like i was saying there's like 12 here you can't see above right. me right here for example i could just pull one down and you know <laughs> that's that humble brag right there <laughs> yeah so you know i'm in, uh, I'm in my factory at the moment that's uh, beautiful though <laughs> it looks it looks quite uh, like like this is the science corner, but it actually is a corner. I don't know <laughs> if you can hear the reverb, but it's basically there's just like a a big empty space, and yeah. it's like literally just a you know I've got the computer with the camera just against the wall in front oh, of me, really? oh, like wow. a, a rack of stuff. So I'm I'm squeezed into this. This is my little <laughs> space for for actually doing uh, hardware work. Nice. Is now is that the, the 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 workbench that you spent most of your time at developing the uh, Super Six? Well, different space had, at that time. When I was developing it, I had a bit more space, so yeah. my work my workbench was filling up. I had a I had a beautiful desk, you know, I had a big desk and a chair and nice. <laughs> I could spread out all my things and a workbench. It was great. But then gradually, as we start producing, I sort of become less and less important in the uh the day-to-day -day <laughs> running of things and so right. i get gradually demoted in space so uh, when i was so, developing so, it so i had a, a question for george to kind of kick things off here i know you've um previously worked on other synthesizers um i'm a little bit fuzzy on where exactly you started i know um there's a whole legacy here as far as the uh the udo and uh the, the super six i should say um, can you talk a little bit about that, uh, where the whole lineage kind of started with the with the Super 6? Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess I sort of I've always been into synthesizers. Like, mm -hmm. I've always been into electronic music production, music production in general, keys playing ever since I was sort of a teenager. And I've sort of always been a, a tinkerer, you know, like a hobbyist, an electronics hobbyist. First, as like a 16-year-old, uh, not really knowing what I'm doing and being frustrated because nothing would ever work. I just 
I didn't have enough knowledge or enough skills to do what I wanted to do, but I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but I was into production mainly, first of all, like mm. music production. I, you know, when I sort of started like going out, there was a, a sort of in the mid 90s, there was still the end of the kind of rave scene in the UK. And there's still a lot of like free parties and raves. And it was kind of at the end of the cycle. But like, it was an amazing time. And sort of the music kind of and the parties from back then just really got me into that kind of analog sound. So really, like the seed was sown really early. And I kind of tinkered around. I made like hobby synthesizers. Um, like, I don't know, I have shown a couple of my sort of hobby projects before, and there's a few pictures around online. Um, but uh, yeah, I then basically disappeared off and had a career in electronics for the next, you know, uh, nearly 20 years, sort of 15 years or more. Um, so it was really only later I came to do it professionally, like after I'd been working in medical devices i worked for a formula one team for a while on racing cars <laughs> I, worked, I worked making i was in canada and america actually a little bit working on airplanes um working with a company called bombardier um i've been to the midwest i've been to wichita kansas um uh but it was a long time before i actually did the synths uh like uh, for real professionally and I guess the first the first professional thing is I started making chips, but they weren't chips, <laughs> like little uh, encapsulated modules for fixing up vintage synthesizers where you couldn't buy the filter chips, for example, mm. and for sort of serving the DIY and modular community with like circuit blocks, which are sort of the, the hard bit of circuit design embedded into a simple chip that was easy to use. Really what they were is plastic encapsulated ultra miniature surface mount circuits packed in wow. uh, that were machine assembled. But I did that and kind of, it was sort of a little bit of a sideline. Uh, I don't know, do you know a company called Pittsburgh Modular? They, oh yeah. They, uh, and, and Richard Nichol, they adopted some of our chips in some of their products. So right. they made a synthesizer called a foundation yeah, uh, Pittsburgh Modular Foundation, and then that was their first uh, full uh, modular, like their first rig, right? Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was a really yeah. cool thing because it's yeah. all nicely. It's got a lid. It's really practical. It's mm -hmm. really like handy. It's got great bold sound. But that used our um, our chips inside it. Nice. Um, bear in mind that then you couldn't buy uh, music ICs like the classic synth chips. Nowadays, you can. Uh, good companies like Sound Semiconductor, mm -hmm. uh, Alpha in Latvia are producing the classic synth chips or modern kind of modern versions of them now. But back then, you couldn't get them. So that went on for a little while. And then um, I worked with Modal, a synthesizer company also based in Bristol. And I licensed some designs of a hobby polyphonic eight voice analogs as a VCO synthesizer to modal to make uh, an instrument called the 008. Crazy. Um, I remember when the 008 was announced 
And it kind of sent a little bit of shockwaves because I think at that point, a lot of us were kind of salivating over the possibilities of like, man, if you could get a used, say, uh, Andromeda or something like that. And thinking about that Mm -hmm. analog poly sort of sound. And then when the double eight was announced, I remember like that. It was such a kind of it's a beautiful layout, quite frankly. You know what I mean? And, And it's very different. Uh, from a lot of other other layouts and stuff. So I remember that very vividly, especially too, because that company uh, had only been doing like these incredibly huge and power packed uh, digital sense. They were, they were doing those with digital sense before then. Right. Or it was they, a hybrid, right? They were hybrids. Yeah. So. The, the 002. Yeah, yeah. The 002 and those things. Mm-hmm. So yep. very cool. 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 Yeah. So you licensed uh, your your synth the designs and and stuff to them for the 008, and did you stick around working with the company for a while after that? It was a fairly short lived uh, thing because the company actually took a bit of a different direction mm-hmm. after doing the big synthesizers. Uh, Paula Maddox and Philip Taysom. Um, Paula chose to do um, sort of different projects and. And kind of, I was busy. I was only ever kind of part time with them. So it wasn't a very long lived thing. It didn't last very long, but it was, it was long enough. And for me to get a bit of exposure to see how things work for real in the, uh, in the industry. So I, I haven't sort of worked with them for many years now, basically bear in mind that the, our licensing of the technology was back as far as 2015 for the 008. Oh, wow. I'd made the prototypes of an analog eight voice synthesizer um, kind of a few years before that. Um, so it's sort of, yeah, it was, a, it was a short-lived thing, but I learned a hell of a lot. Primarily, how can you um, basically make uh, a big high voice count analog uh, polyphonic synthesizer and make it reliable and make mm. it manufacturable? Mm. Um, I think that was the key thing. That's a sort of a, a step up because I'd worked in other industries, high reliability, uh, high reliability industries like medicine, uh, aerospace. Um, but they're often the things I were working on were actually simpler things. You know what I mean? You, you can design a simpler thing to be like high reliability and it takes Very a lot of work. Yeah. How to do that with a big complex synthesizer with like, hundreds of parts in it. I mean, some of the old classics like the Memory Moog, um, fantastic instrument, quite famous for never really working. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and required sort of retrofits of, 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 to kind of bring it up to up to spec. But because they were so ambitious, um, and, and the interesting thing about the 008, which I think still sets it apart to many other instru- instruments in its class, was that, it actually used all discrete circuits. Hmm. It didn't use any uh, synth chips at all. Wow. It was a discrete VCO, hmm. uh, discrete ladder filter, 15 mode ladder filter using all discrete parts. It was discrete VCA. That's crazy. Wow. So it actually had more in common with synthesizers of the 70s wow. than it did with synthesizers of the 80s as a result. Now, it sort of it had a very short production run and it didn't last very long. But I think certainly that the uh, uh, the knowledge that experience was very valuable. And 
And then basically, you know, cut a long story short, I'm waffling now. I'm sorry, I'll get back on topic. But uh, uh, the um, a few years passed and, you know, I think every entrepreneur has a similar uh, story to tell, but they, they usually like fall into something or get pushed into something or end up doing it by accident. In my case, I was sort of working um, consulting with a consultancy firm that I'd started. It was really just me and some colleagues. And uh, yeah, we sort of uh, fell on a bit of, well, I wouldn't say hard times, but there was a, a fork in the road, which I didn't choose for myself. And I found myself on the back foot all of a sudden, like, you know, not, not working, not doing the things I was doing. Um, and I sort of stopped there and I scratched my head and I was like, well, we've got all the equipment from doing the, the R and D and the consulting work. I've got all the knowledge, like I'm probably about the right age to do it. <laughs> Just thought, well, I could go and get another full-time job now and just start whatever, or, or I could just actually make a go for it. And like, they're, they're just, there's never a good time, but mm -hmm. there was never going to be a better time. Mm. You know, I'm sat yeah. here with the, the same, the same bits of equipment you need, the knowledge, at least some experience. I really didn't have enough. Um, mm -hmm. and just decided to go for it. And then, you know, you kind of like, you spend all the money that you're comfortable with, right? To begin with, then you spend all the money you have. <laughs> <laughs> and then you borrow all the money that you're comfortable with. <laughs> and then you borrow all the money you possibly can from anyone. <laughs> you start borrowing your friend's money. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and so it sort of carried on like that and just, you know, uh, I, 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 your your listeners and yourselves have probably heard of Axel Hartman. Mm -hmm, certainly, and, we've had uh, him on the show. Oh yeah, fantastic! Mm -hmm. He's a he's he's got a long history in synthesizer. I was talking to him about it, and he was just like sort of looking at me, sort of skeptical, as if to say, like, uh, you know, to to really do this, you're going to need it's going to take this, and it's going to take this, and it's going to take this. I didn't listen to him. I was like. <laughs> No, it'll be fine. We don't need that. That's not what it's going to cost. That's not what that's going to cost. He ended up being correct on just about everything. Yeah. And had, had I have listened to the sound good advice of people, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have gone through with starting the company. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad we did now. Um, but yeah, there was certainly like one, of those, one of those things of building the road as you're running on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, oh. Well, we're here, we're halfway there now. We may as well continue on. I, th I think there's like, yeah, building a road implies that you've got some sort of forward direction. But, <laughs> but for a long, for a long time, I felt like, you know, when your dog goes and just starts digging frantically in the beach for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> right. I sort of felt a bit more like that. Like I was mm. just sort of, you know, just digging away. And uh, yeah, I certainly managed to dig myself into a fairly big hole by the time. Uh, I think by the time we got to the NAM show, I think was yeah. the point whereby, like, you know, we knew we had something that people were going to like and musicians were going to enjoy. And, but man, we did not have the, the ability or resources to really get up there at that point. And we'd, you know, we'd spent all the money on the development. We're, we're self-funded. 
And, uh, you know, we were just sort of thinking, Jesus, this has been a long, hard couple of years and we've got this thing, but it's like we were still right in the middle of the hole at that point, you know. Mm. We still had work to do. We still had development to finish off. But, uh, yeah, but we got there in the end. What what was the first um, time that you guys had showed – uh, the product and that you guys were working on it. I think that was like a super booth thing or something, right? Yeah, super booth. That was May uh, 2019. So and then it was. Another... Oh, yeah, sorry. There, there was a little bit. There was like a little little while after seeing it before people really got anything else. And I I remember people like salivating, like, ah, we want to see more. We want to see more. And I, I know you were probably behind the scenes, like I got to get it working first. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a bit of that. Um, I think, you know, there's a sort of, uh, what would I describe it as a conspiracy of optimism that tends to happen with these things and a, a fair part of naivety. I think I would say on my part, but yeah, we uh, I think at Superbooth, uh, like I'm, in my head, I was still going like, yeah, we're going to, you know, it's just going to be like two, three months and, and it's all going to be out there. Uh, in reality, um, you know, the, the sort of wiser people that I spoke to, Axel being one of them, Joachim from Waldorf, is sort of saying to me, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's going to be like, it's going to be like six months, probably. Maybe you'll have this ready next summer. You know, that's what they said. That's that's what the, the you know, the kind of the, the experience people told me. And again, didn't listen, did I? Too stupid. Uh, but uh, yeah, they were right. They were right. In the end, in the end, it took until the summer of the following year before we actually started selling it to people. Mm. Now, is it Udo or Udo? It's UDO. It stands UDO. for Unidentified Dancing Objects. Really? <laughs> That's dope. Yeah. But it's also it's also a very common name in Germany, which we found out. Yeah. Uh, Udo. Like, uh, and it's also uh, <laughs> say hi to. Her. <laughs> Yeah, but, he's uh, he's that's that's Ken's trying to get his time. ego. <laughs> he's trying to get his shine. I thought it was a JPEG in the background, but it's, it's, it's like sort of slightly soft focus. It's actually somebody moving. It. So, it's it's my my haunting of the child ginger that just kind of floats through every once in a while. Nice, Ollie. So I gotta say, when you when you showed it for the first time at super booth and then you know it was a year later before you got it out to start selling it to people i would imagine there's an amount of pressure that you and, and i don't want to speak for you but i can't imagine the amount of pressure that there was but was there like oh well there's no turning back now i'm showing it to everybody and people are expecting something so the, the pressure is on to get this done what was that like ah uh-huh. Well, let's be, let's be perfectly honest. There was some tears yeah. you know, <laughs> around the place. There was some, I feel sorry. We had, um, we had an intern and uh, like, she's really smart, clever girl, um, you know, as working with us. But one at one point I got like so stressed that I like just fell down onto my knees, just like with bits of paper everywhere. And I was just like throwing them around. And she just stared at me, like horrified, as if to say, what is this man doing? Um, yeah, there was quite a lot of pressure. But to be honest, um, 
I had done this before many times, just not with a synthesizer and not with my own crew and with my own money, you know, with my own project. You know, I'd done it many times for other companies. This is like, you know, we operate very much internally like an engineering firm, you know. So we, we're a music company. We're all musicians, every single one of us. But the sort of the nuts and bolts of the company is is we work like a like a like an engineering company basically with a quality system and you know sort of structures for processes and kind of product development. So I was kind of cranking the handle of what I'd done many times over, bringing other products to market. But it never, you know, when it's your own like skin in the game, it's your own livelihood, and and you know it's like. Well, all the guys will know is like putting any creative work out there is like spilling your guts, isn't it? Yeah, you absolutely. Yep. You, can, you can say, uh, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I think this is good. But when you put something out there, you know, you've, you've got your heart on your sleeves ready to be like, you know, ready to ripped. be shut down. Ready yeah, to ripped, ripped to shreds by everybody that's not feeling where you're coming from kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it was... It was daunting. It was daunting as well because you know I'd 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 like invested like you know every everything I I'd, I'd, I'd earned through my career. Wow. I'd given I'd given up a good job. <laughs> you know I just put I was just all in basically. I just moved all the chips in. Was like well if it doesn't work now we're we're stuffed. And I suppose that does mm. put a bit of extra pressure on. So even though I knew what I was doing all the time, it still was like an extra level of pressure. But to be to be honest, like the, the good thing is about the music industry and about you guys know is there is such a will to succeed from everyone. Everyone yeah. wants you to do well. You know, everyone wants it to succeed. And there's so much right. good will from everyone we've spoken to and from people we, um, you know, that, that helped us along the way. That goodwill, you know, and that optimism and that positivity yeah, it's one of, you know, that's that's what's brilliant about music, you know. Other industries, you know, it's not quite the same. It's not quite, it's, not, it's more difficult to get inertia behind stuff. But music, people are really, they just want to see stuff work. You know, they want to get it. They want to use it. They want to, you know, they want to see ideas come to life. They want to help you. And, yeah, and you know, a, that's the sense of community that, that you know, kind of has around it. It's true. Yeah, for sure. For Let's, sure. Uh, I want to share this and put it up on the screen and the reason i want to put it up on the screen is because i want to take a quick step back and talk about what the it is <clears throat> excuse me for those that might tune in and say like wow a lot of work went into this synthesizer which synthesizer are they talking about <laughs> might, might help to know <laughs> yeah tell yeah, us a little bit more about to like give us a sort of an overall of of, of what the super six is and I'll, I'll have this up on the screen. Sure, sure. Well, but I guess as an instrument, it means something different to different people. And before sort of going into the, the specs of what it really is, I'm going to sort of talk about what the feeling of it is, what the vibe of it is for me. It's basically um, an instrument that doesn't have any barriers to like kind of your flow is the, is the objective. We have no screen. It's not a computer. 
You're not working a computer. This is an instrument. Mm -hmm. This is something that's built to be tactile, to interact with. It sounds gorgeous. It's got this lovely, um, gorgeous analog tone. It's got really nice kind of stereo imaging. It's flexible. It can sound like a classic vintage analog polysynth. It can also go into sort of new territory kind of, you know, wavetable digital synthesis type territory. It's solid. It's well built. It's fun to play. It's easy to make great sounds with, in my opinion. I think it's like just so easy that you can kind of sit in front of it and just play and get lost. And, you know, for me and for many other people now, you know, work, even doing really interesting work, you know, doing really good stuff involves sitting at a computer and like clicking a mouse or sort of moving things around. And I really wanted to capture that real magic that these kind of um, vintage analog synthesizers really captured without cloning anything, without copying anything. I wanted to use the latest technology, both analog and digital. So the FPGAs, which is the sort of top end digital customizable circuits and then new analog from companies like Sound Semiconductor. So I wanted to capture the feeling and the vibe and the immediacy and the, the powerful sound of these like classic synths, but without copying or cloning, but actually sort of forging it into something new. So yeah, it's a polyphonic analog hybrid synthesizer, but it's, it's sort of at the manifestation of a vision or a, a desire for something that really, really helps you to get creative when you're interacting with it. Because let's face it, like, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's like making music, enjoying yourself. No you know what? It's not even, I think, to me at least, about <laughs> necessarily recording music or, or finishing tracks. I can, I can have this thing and I can just sit there and I play and I can just lose myself. <laughs> You just yeah. put some headphones on. I can just play around. I can go from one sound into another sound. And I just have a great time. And when I'm listening to sounds, I'm thinking about, you know, going to festivals and dancing, you know, when I was a teenager or whatever, and listening to Orbital or The Prodigy or whoever. And kind of, I don't know, I just, it, 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 it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Um, and, you know, it's, it is, you know, it is a, a, a polyphonic hybrid synthesizer. There are there are lots of good synthesizers that do a similar thing when you when you when you sort of drill down their specs and what they perform. But the Super Six keyboard and desktop is designed to really like work with you, you know, so that you've got big clunky switches, nice long solid sliders, nice kind of big nice clicky buttons everything's designed to be really quick and really easy and really hands-on and so yeah it's just a kind of uh, a sort of i think a, a, a sort of fresh take on the, on the kind of classic analog polysynth um yeah. can you can you touch on the the idea behind uh doing the 12 voice and then splitting it and you know, like where that whole idea came from for you to kind of do the whole binaural audio aspect of it. Yeah. And to add to that, was that a fundamental part of it from the beginning or was that some, was that like an afterthought? Uh, it was actually an accident. 
an after, a bit of an afterthought. I'm going to show you something interesting, guys. Uh, seeing, as, seeing as I actually am in my I, th- I literally thought he was about to pull his pants down. He got up. He's like, let me show you something. And starts grabbing at his back. I was like, that's not what I'm trying to see, sir. He said, don't do it. Don't, Ken was like, don't do it, please. Right, I've got uh, somewhere here. Like, what you can't see is that I've got the um, camera up on my racks. So it's like... Uh, Somewhere in the racks, I have the first prototype of the um, of the UDO Super Six. I was actually getting it out to show the guys for uh, the nostalgia. Um, but basically, I built um, a voice card on a. Uh, let's see if I can find the thing. Well, I might not. I, lo- I love seeing the different prototypes and whatnot when, when we yeah. do the show. So yeah. um, that I'm kind of stuff is always it's that. always fun to see the kind of um, fetal stage uh, of these sorts of things. So uh, yeah, here you go. I've, I've managed to dig it out. So basically, here kind of looks like um, a seventies synth, but here assembled on. Um, Wow, on plugboard. I don't know if you can see, but this is an edge, an edge connector here. Mm-hmm. Oh no, this on that this, side. Yeah. So this is the this is the first voice, basically. But actually, wow. more specifically, I found that pretty much all the chips were dual or quad. Mm-hmm. So I was able to. I thought, well, I might as well build two voices on one board. Um, and then when I was driving them with the FPGA oscillators, I found that if I sort of did interesting things with the oscillators and then played one, <laughs> one oscillator path through one channel and the other one through the other one, I got a really interesting full sound. Nice. Yeah. To begin with, I'm going to plug that in here. Um, there you go. I don't know if you can see, but actually it's stuck into this edge connector strip like that mm-hmm. wow. but, uh, yeah to begin with i had this kind of uh, fairly naive implementation of, of kind of phase shifted oscillators into the um into the stereo chain stereo filters and then when i played around with it a little bit more i found like nice ways that you could add spatial depth without losing the kind of bass and without losing the fundamental uh, sort of central position of the audio, but you could basically uh, confuse the ear a little bit by phase shifting the partials of the sound such that you weren't able to sort of position it. Like your your head was too confused about where the sound was coming from mm-hmm. to be able to lock it to a point kind of between the speakers, which is a sort of mono chain often sounds like. And then I was sort of playing around with that because... I realized that one of the fundamental problems with many instruments, like electronic instruments, is when you mix them with like other acoustic instruments, they often sound quite flat um, mm-hmm. without kind of additional processing. So I guess that's where it came from. Then I sort of gradually developed and I thought, well, if this is a really nice thing, if I can make this sound really nice, and of course the subtle analog differences between the left and the right, really help to get make it sound more real um why don't i actually work that into the whole um like theory of the synthesizer 
And so then I was like, well, I have to halve the number of voices to do that. And so then I was like, well, can we give it some more voices? <laughs> <laughs> throw more voices at it. <laughs> yeah, throw, throw, more, uh, throw more voices at the problem. Um, so, yeah, I think I was originally going to do an eight voice and then it grew to 12 so that we could um, have this binaural stereo aspect to it um, with still a respectable number of voices left afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when it became the Super 6, basically. Right. So, you know, one of the things I noticed right away, well, for, well having gotten this uh, maybe last month or whatever, one of the first things I noticed is how it's such a beautiful scent. And especially in the blue, it just kind of stands out as well built. It's built like, uh, you know, very sturdy quality. All the switches and all of the... Uh, um, sliders and everything just feels they, they all feel firm and high quality so that was you know the the look of it was great the feel of it was great but then when i heard it and the the way it kind of fills the room when you put that bar binaural aspect on it really is uh sort of ethereal sort of sounds like <laughs> euphoric sort of the way it the 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 sound sort of swims and fills up the room um but the one thing that I think that I've, I've saw uh, initially, I thought that it was a six voice synth, like just in general, before I got it, I thought it was just a mm. six voice synth. So I'm like, okay, cool. And it's a good looking six voice synth. But then when I started looking more into the rows, it's actually 12 voices, but you can turn the binaural mode on and off. I think that was a dope design decision. Uh, now, so when you kind of stumbled into this idea of like, hey, I'm going to explore this phasing of the partials and this binaural sort of uh, theory of the thing, did you also say, I, I also want to be able to give the person that might want a 12 voice synth the ability to turn that off and kind of give it like this duality of, of sorts? Did, was that really a decision for you or did you think that uh, maybe not all patches really require the binaural mode? What made you do both to be able to turn it off and turn it on rather than just saying this is a binaural synth and it's just like that all the time? I think I just felt uncomfortable about <laughs> putting so much analog hardware and, and oscillators into, a, into the device and then not have a mode where you could use all of them independently. Yeah. It, seemed, it seemed like just too extravagant to use all of that analog hardware basically <laughs> right, right. use all of that power and then not actually be able to unlock it because you know many other synths have um just sort of one one channel per voice so mm. why not make a um make a uh, a unit that's like that basically so so yeah interesting it gets used more often than i think a, a lot of people really kind of gravitate to 12 voice patches um yeah and that's something i didn't anticipate so much so it's been interesting um basically working with that and making sure that it can actually work effectively as a as a 12 voice synthesizer which it can yeah, yeah. Um, but in my head it was always the super six it was always about those <laughs> six voice pairs so I mean, I'm sure you can explain it better than I can, but one of the things I really think is dope about it is that, so this idea of a super saw where you take uh, sawtooth uh, waveforms and you stack them and then detune them, that idea, and then the fact that you can do that with all the other wave shapes, 
Yeah. I've never heard some of those wave shapes that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Can you hold that thought? Corey, excuse yeah. me, gentlemen, a second. I'm going to plug you in. I'm just a bit worried that it's all going to kaput. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Bryce, we talked about that, didn't we? Like, when I was yeah, we did. Some of the, yeah. the bits and pieces. For, so for anybody that's watching this, when I got my super sick, as, as the crew tends to do, we share all of our creative endeavors and, and new gear with each other uh, via text or whatever it might be. Uh, and and I remember saying, Bryce, like, listen to this, listen mm -hmm. to this. And, yeah. you know, having a square wave that does that sort of super soft thing. Exactly. Stacking all those or sine waves or all of, and I'm telling you, if you have that set with where it's doing like a super soft sort of sound, or it's part of your patch to do that super soft sort of, um, the theory of doing a super saw, right? Stacking all those weights. And then if you have a preset that's doing whatever it's doing, and then you start to uh, switch the waveform, like the sound is otherworldly. Incredible. It's like yeah. things that I've heard before, you know what I mean? Yeah, like some of the stuff you've shared with me, man, I'm just like blown away. Like triangle wave, a triangle wave mm -hmm. super saw is just phenomenal. Yeah. Sounds incredible. Yeah. It really does sound incredible. Mm -hmm. And and also, one of the other things I like about it, and George, you touched on this uh, a few minutes ago when we were talking about you describing the synth. It's an instrument. There's no screen on it um, and all that case. I've seen on the forums or on the Facebook group where people are like, yo, we need a, a Super 6XL with a screen and this thing and that thing. But I gotta be honest, like the way it's designed, I really feel like I'm dealing with an instrument. It doesn't Absolutely. feel like some hybrid thing. It doesn't feel like something that connects. I don't have, it, it doesn't feel, I'm engaged when I'm working with that. It definitely has the instrument sort of mystique. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I could totally see, um, it just kind of so, sort of has a purity in that sense. Mm. It's interesting because uh, during the development, Axel Hartman was like, he said to us, oh, you know, yeah. I like this design. I was, I was about to do a, a kind of pretend German accent, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it says, uh, George, I, I like this design, but I, I, I need to just push one thing on you. It's like you really, you know, you really need to have a, have a screen on this. And, and I was sort of trying to say, well, it does actually let you do a lot of things, you know, having, having a display does let you do a lot of more, more things and it makes some things easier as well. It also stops you from focusing your mind. You get drawn in to like, like a part, you know, mm -hmm. rather than I wanted your eye to look at this thing and to see the whole thing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not to get drawn in to, to something that's being lit up in the corner. Yeah. And I think, it forced us to think really hard as in, do we really need that feature? Mm -hmm. Do we really need mm. to be able to do this? Does right. that really help the player or, or the, the musician? Or does that just give them another thing to think about right. that distracts them from the making the music? Absolutely. So we thought that like, well, what we'll do is we'll make an instrument which basically makes, well, it makes you think creatively about what you want to do. You know, you have maybe less total features in sheer number, but 
the way they're laid out and your access to the instrument is such that you're like, oh, man, I need to get a, a patch with three LFOs. Mm -hmm. But the thing's only got one main LFO. And I was like, oh, no, actually, I can turn the the uh, the mod wheel LFO just into the on position. Mm -hmm. Ah, so that's cool. So that gives me a second one. Oh, yeah, but really, I, for this patch, I need three LFOs. Uh, but I only need a one oscillator with super triangle waves. Yeah. So yeah. just use DDS1. Then I'll flick oscillator two into LFO mode. Yeah. And then like, right, okay, yeah, now i got the third one. Right. So everything's like a little game. Yeah. You know? oh because if you think about the sounds that most people want to make they generally have some complexity they use like a lot of things together to make the sound but yeah. they don't use them all at once like i mean maybe for some people they do like you know a patch which uses four oscillators plus the four lfos plus 16 envelopes or whatever but that's, <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> that's what software's for yeah, you know, and it seems like that type of architecture would lead to more uh, creative exploration rather than just you know being able to flick something on and and say, okay, well, I have my my ninth LFO now going over here, yeah. you know, rather than you know, you For can me, just kind of exploration, right? Like the creative exploration that I don't know that I would have done mm. the same way before, right? Mm. Yeah, and and that's it. So, for example, the the oscillator two, like the DDS two, when you put it into LFO mode, it behaves a bit differently to the LFO two, which behaves a bit differently to LFO one. So they all mm. behave a bit weird and they have all their own quirks. But right. then of course you've set the DDS two up to be an LFO and you're still messing around with your sound. And then you flip it back into oscillator mode. And then all of a sudden the synth does something straight away, does something completely different. Yeah. You know, you've set because it up. The, the DDS2 has different wave waveforms, right? Is that right? Or Yeah, they're, they're actually two. DDS1 and DDS2 are two different technologies. So if you imagine that, like, sort of, we're going to danger of getting real tech talk now, but <laughs> oh, basically DDS1 is like a sample, effectively. It's like a short recorded uh, waveform. And so you can load into that any waveform. They have to be processed in the right format to be put on the disc, but you can put on the, the actual disc of the instrument, the drive, any waveform you like. And then the, the super mode can stack all those waves together in a kind of nice big spread. But it's playing back a single cycle of your waveform. Oscillator 2 is actually uh, an algorithm formed from counters so it works basically like a almost like an analog circuit works it's sort of the do, do, it's a triangle core it counts up hits the top counts back down again and to make a pulse width um it counts up and then flips at a point and as it counts down it flips to make a sawtooth it basically adds the two together Mm -hmm. So oscillator two works in a sl slightly different way. So it has a slightly different sound. Yeah. All of these little things, they all have their own little quirks. So when you're when you're messing around with the instrument, there are all these little subtleties. And I think that's what maintains interest. Like with anything, like those nice guitars, Bryce, you've got there. Each one has got its little subtle nuances, mm -hmm. you know. The little way maybe the tone control interacts with it. 
something to do with how high the action is or the resonant body of one all these little things you know yep after a little while you start to know and after a little while you probably think oh you know what i've got this track i'm going to take that guitar because i know that what i'm looking for in my head sort of does this and exactly and having these little games and these little tricks with the instrument i think um helps you to get creative because it gets you thinking it gets you like oh well i haven't got everything i could possibly need but mm. i can find a way to cheat that i'll put the envelope on loop and um, then i can it's like an lfo then oh wouldn't it be nice if it tracks the keyboard so i can you know get it to track the keyboard so it loops faster higher up and and this sort of exploration um you know might take you somewhere you didn't think you wanted to go in the first place um you know but that's that's the fun of an instrument of this kind i started with a patch that was one thing and then i thought oh that sounds since you know the sound is good i'm playing uh, a couple chords and and then you know turn up the delay a little bit or whatever you mess with different wave shapes and you know now you got these wave shapes that are like super whatever the wave shape is and i mess with the binaural mode and then changing you know you know, messing with the the uh, filter, it's going up down. I'm like, ah, I kind of want that, but then I'm like, oh well, just this is a looping envelope, the 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 filter envelope. So then <laughs> I set that to looping, and now that's looping, and it's going kind of in time. And what I found is I ended up in a totally different place than what I initially began. But I found every place I landed was a different sweet spot. It was kind of like. And to finally arrive at this place where I use those those chords and that sound and everything, it, it was just a dope experience. A little bit different than most other uh, synthesizers, I think, it because it's just one of those synthesizers on the market that's very immediate. I think that mm. um, um, that hands-on kind of exploration. Yeah, it's a very hands-on sort of exploration, and it's laid out intuitively, and it it makes sense. Like once you start to mess with it, it really has. And then too, when I'm looking at it, it has, it's it's odd that it has an old school look, but at the same time, a very modern look. I don't know what it is. It's kind of <laughs> like, you know, if somebody build a mid-century uh, modern house today, but with all modern stuff, <laughs> but with that mid-century modern sort of aesthetic. It's a, yeah. it's a trip. It's very well done. Well, I, I, that's what I really wanted, and I'm glad. I'm, it makes me very proud and happy. You should say that because uh, I didn't want to make it look like a mid-century house. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to capture that feeling that that you got from these vintage instruments. Yeah. You know, they were often a bit macroscopic. They were like when you see them in the flesh. The vintage keyboards are much bigger than you think they're going to be. Yeah, that's true. This thing's huge. So the Super 6 isn't too huge, but everything's laid out nice and large. You know, you've got large sliders, nice big gaps to get your fingers around. Um, I wanted it to, to really feel like the interaction with it had to feel like a classic synthesizer, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but of course, we've got modern techniques. So why stop at the, the classic synthesizer? You know, we've got really nice fancy digital modern technology we've got kind of nice like modern machining and metalworking and you know that the quality of the chassis you can make is a lot better than the, the quality of the chassis of many classic instruments mm -hmm. um you know 
fantastic instrument, uh, you know, world changing and even broke the fortunes of some big manufacturers, the DX7. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic piece of kit. Like the thing's like falling apart and it's like case construction and it's like, you know, bits of plastic that like crack up and degrade over years. It's like the 80s came along, like yeah. the mid-80s, and no one no one sort of cared anymore about how the construction, the physical construction of things. It's like, oh well, we've got this new technology and this new feature. Mm-hmm. And you know, ours does this and ours does this. And that battle went on, I think, till the early noughties. Well, no, maybe even the late noughties and towards 2010, where yeah. basically it was all about new features, but interface not necessarily prevalent in that kind of instrument. Yeah. But then the analog revival came. And I think the backdrop of it, like thinking broader than instruments and about how this thing is physically. I think there's many things about the modern era and about how we do things that people are a bit like fed up with. So mm-hmm. I think there's like a movement, a general aesthetic movement towards uh, natural materials to have like houses with wood and metal and stone and away from like sort of mass produced sort of identikit, you know, kind of materials i think that people are starting to like their kind of you know their, their simpler clothes sometimes i think there's a there's a broader movement that not everything about modernity is desirable you know? <laughs> and that there are things that are really good that have been done in the past so i have a quick question about the the mod wheel section of the super yeah. six what was your thought process in that area because that definitely looks unique um how exactly uh does does it interact with the synth so i was really um adamant that i wanted a little area to the left of the keyboard now where i, I wanted to be able to apply an lfo and pitch bend and mod wheel and aftertouch and it wanted to be this hand to the side of where i'm playing and i really wanted a stick bender because you know, I think it's sort of probably fairly obvious from the aesthetics of what we made. I'm, I'm a Roland fan, life lifelong. I love love the company. I love the story um, of Itokaru Kakahashi and his watch shop in Osaka in Japan and how he eventually became, you know, the founder of the Roland Corporation. And, of course, Roland's always had stick benders. And for me, playing the stick bender was always... Um, like preferable to the wheels, mm-hmm. but also there's something about wheels, like in a lot of uh, classic synths, you had that mod section on the left of the keyboard. You know, the Roland Jupiters had it, the mm-hmm. Junos had a stripped down version of it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think other instruments that that had it in that era. There are there are a few to speak of, but then somebody started sort of I don't know. In design school for synthesizers, somebody put their hand up and said, oh, we don't need a section to the left of the keyboard anymore. And so it was always just two wheels. Pitch bend and modulation became the standard. Uh, so, But I really wanted that little section of controls to the left where you could assign the LFO, assign the aftertouch, assign pitch bend and modulation. And so we went for a two-axis bender. Now, I think, you know... With hindsight, I would like to have a bender which 
allows me to have a little bit more forward travel because we actually use upwards as pressure. So mm -hmm. it's progressive, it is proportional, but it doesn't move very far. And indeed, people have said to us, oh, yeah, I've got my bender, but when I push it forwards, it doesn't move. I'm not sure it's working. But it's actually a pressure sensor. Mm -hmm. um, now, one of the reasons is we had our hands tied. You're a small company. Uh, you, what you can't afford, one of the things you can't afford, is lots and lots of expensive plastic tooling. Yeah, <laughs> right. One of the things you just can't afford, and not only that, but before you even pay for the tooling, you've got to pay for a mechanical engineer and an expert plastics, you know, guy or girl to, to design it for you. So our bender is actually an adaptation of a vintage um, organ. <laughs> like, so we we actually managed to um, repurpose some ancient tooling from a discontinued, or I don't think it was even made ever, um, home organ. And that home organ had like a, a switch on the forward motion, which it was just, you know, sort of, you know, it, was, it wasn't even really very, um, how's the word? It wasn't very reassuring. You didn't really know that you'd switched it, but we replaced the switch with um, you can get really accurate, reliable strain gauges, sort of pressure-sensitive resistors. So we use the forward motion uh, now as a force-sensing resistor. So as you push harder, it creates uh, a, an increasing depth of modulation. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, stick bender with, a, with an upwards travel to apply modulation. Mm -hmm. I, I always wanted that. I knew I wanted the controls to the left, and I knew it had to be a stick bender. And so then, then it's like, well, we've got to engineer one. And it's just like, when you, when you start looking at the bills for those plastic tooling, yeah, you kind of, you know, you spit your coffee out all, all over the keyboard. You're just like, Jesus, how much? <laughs> you know what? I think also part of when I'm listening to you speak about, you know, how you all came about to have that sort of bender and how you came about to be the binaural mode. And, and just how I've been enjoying personally playing this thing and then knowing the story, I feel like this is just one of those instruments with a soul because of that kind of thing. Absolutely. <laughs> you know well what I'm said, saying? Corey. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. It, I wanted it to, um origin story and a soul to it that it goes uh, beyond just the sound, beyond just the interface, but there's all of this stuff that comes yeah. to make it, you know, what it is. Go for it. I wanted to ask... Uh, so, so you've got the FPGA oscillators and you have the analog filter stage and, and you're designing this thing and, and you're wanting it to be an instrument. At what point did you have to look at it and say, all right, I don't want to hide too much behind like shift functions and that sort of thing. Um, because when you have an FPGA oscillator, when you have any digital oscillator, you have such a plethora of, you know, things that you can do with it, you know? Um, and mm there's that that feature creep temptation that starts coming in how were you able to really kind of rein that in and decide all right i don't want to hide too much or you know how do you feel like you're striking that balance well i feel well i think the instrument has now reached peak shift functionality as there's been a bit of feature creep after we've released it uh for me i wanted to keep it absolutely cutthroat simple you know i wanted to be brutal 
what you don't, don't that's out that's out i went to a fright from the beginning was sort of acutely aware of feature creep because like on all the projects that i've worked on before as a sort of r d engineer i've realized the danger of feature creep and how the later the ideas come in the more dangerous they become so i, I sort of when it's your own neck and your own reputation your own money on the line you're kind of the experience in my head is just telling me all the time no no the best thing we can try and do is make something reliable makes make deliver something reliable and deliver something that's like a nice easy to understand concept that will be a million times better for us than something that does everything that's illogically put together that's maybe slightly confused and of course there are things on the synthesizer there are like edge conditions where there are limitations of the hardware where i think we've let we sort of let people do too much you know there's because i've wanted i've sort of had pressure oh, what would it be good if it could do this wouldn't it be good if it could do that and so yeah it's it's like a kind of uh i think about it like a pyramid so you're if you take the base layer as all the controls that you can see in manual mode, then that should get you 90% of what you want. And then there's the next layer where there's a modulation matrix where you can choose some sources, choose some destinations, and you can visibly see the mappings that you've assigned. And that gets you a little bit further. And then for those who particularly want velocity to um, adjust the cross mod depth or something, there is a, another option to just hold down the source and touch the knob and then dial in an amount of modulation. But of course, you've got 100% visibility on the first layer, moderate visibility on the second layer, no visibility on the top. So it's a compromise. It's, you know, it's one of those compromises. And, you know, I, I'm all up for simpler things, but, um, you know, you also have to be empathetic with the person that you're serving. You know, we are serving, um, you know, a musician's community, people that use these things. Just because I don't want to, like, do this crazy mapping all the time, I'd rather just randomly flick knobs around until something good comes out. There's many people that don't function in the same way. They have a different approach. They have an idea where they want to get to and they're like well i need to basically do this then i want to do this i want to get to my sound you know they're very clear they're very they're very concise and for them they've got to have these extra features even if you know it's a compromise of visibility so yeah there are some compromises but where those compromises are drawn yeah i think that's part oh. of the part of the art as it were um but yeah i from my experience, I was just fighting feature creep all the way along. Um, you know, um, I think originally I wanted a bi-timbral instrument. Um, but I realized that actually if we went the bi-timbral route, we'd actually overcomplicate it and we'd break the connection with the instrument. So because as soon as you, there's no, on a bi-timbral instrument with a single set of controls, there's no real manual mode. <laughs> you know there's no real mode where you just hit a button and everything is how you see it mm. because there's one layer that's hidden behind so that's sort of something i fought off and you know i i i think in 
in reality, the end product, the Super 6, probably has more features than I would like. But I don't think there's anything on there that somebody has like not used or not found some positive use for. No doubt. Um, Let me ask you too, because I think um, <clears throat> I think I heard you say on a on another interview of yours that you you looked across the room. You was like, "It's a um, a monopoly over there," and this the filter on the Super Six is similar to a monopoly or. Uh, poly six is that so or what what's the situation with the with the filter yeah yeah the um the filter is a um sound semiconductor um 2144 mm -hmm. and the so the team there at sound semiconductor has sort of got some good heritage behind it um you know with dave rossum's involvement and and others and yeah, the 2144 is a, is, a, is a remake of the 2044 chip, which was used in a number of classic synths, including the Monopoly, the Poly 6, um, and others. Um, the Super 6 uses it possibly a bit different to many other um, approaches. But what I thought, the reason I liked that filter for what we were doing um, was that the particular way you couple the digital oscillators with that type of filter has a really nice interaction. Um, and you were saying about the, the, the super waves, basically. And when you add them together, it's not just super sore, but it's super triangle, super sine wave. Yeah, yeah. What this has, if you actually engage super sine, now there's, there's some complex maths behind it, which I couldn't work out, but you can observe this on the scope. <laughs> a super sine, yeah, is mm -hmm. always just a sine wave. Mm -hmm. That's pretty mind-blowing. But it basically, all that you end up doing is modulating the amplitude. So mm -hmm. when you add lots of sine waves together uh, of sort of like ever so slightly different pitch and different phase, the end result is a sine wave that just warbles about in amplitude. Mm -hmm. And it's the input. I'm giving away some analog secrets here. It's free for your people. But... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the interesting part of, of an analog filter is the interaction between the signal levels and the signal amplitude and the resonance thresholds. So if you create uh, an input which is naturally um, fluctuating in amplitude, Mm -hmm. Okay, what you're doing is you're basically driving the filter harder, which closes off, which reduces the resonance. And then as it gets quieter, that increases the resonance. Mm -hmm. And it's that oh, super complicated interaction that you can't model digitally, really. I, yeah. You model anything digitally. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's that interaction, um, which is really nice. And, and with the uh, 2144, it had a really nice response to sort of varying input gain. It was just generally good performing filter. It, sound, it sounds great. It definitely sounds great. I think that goes a long way to, you know, giving it the, its own character. And I have, and, and yeah. Bryson, Ken, you all can jump in if you want, but I do have a couple questions that came from the Super 6 Facebook group that I oh, want yeah. to throw out there. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'll just put them up here on the screen. 
plans for a librarian BST programmer? Uh, yeah, well, we well, all I can say is that both projects are, are ongoing. Okay. I'm not going to commit to any dates, but there is going to be a librarian and a BST programmer. Wow. Very um, cool. The librarian aspect um, is worth mentioning that it is very easy to just plug the Super 6 into any PC or Mac and use the Windows Explorer to move around your patches as if there were any other file. And you can do the same also with sequences and waveforms. So that, that was sort of part of the ethos of the synth. I wanted to have it, okay, um, maybe it's slightly awkward in some scenarios, but it's also multi-platform. You can do it anywhere. If you're, if you're doing a gig and you've left Los Angeles and you're somewhere on the other side of America, you know, New York or whatever, you know, you can, someone can email you your patches that you've backed up. You just put them on. You don't need any software. Any computer will do it. There's no, um, you know, there's no sort of setting up required. It's not going to work differently on one machine to another. So there is a sort of built-in librarian, effectively, that you get from Windows. It's just basic. Yeah. Uh, but we are working on something that is a sort of, you know, more sophisticated. Uh, I can't, I can't promise dates to anyone, but both of those projects are, you know, are underway. Really dope. And let's see. So the, the desktop came out, or you announced the desktop not long ago, and I think it's been shipping, right? I think some people, I've seen people around the internet yeah. with yeah, yeah. color. It's just so dope because it reminds me of, uh, you know, old school computers and, and even like, even like in that sense of the old, you know, like Akai started doing retro versions of the MPC because they went back to that old, MPC beige and it kind of reminds me of a 909. Yeah, it kind of has that flavor, that vibe to it, like 909 kind of colorway. So people on the this the Facebook uh, Super Six group were asking if you plan to do a keyboard in that colorway of the desktop. Well, I do actually have two keyboards in that same colorway. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <That's so open. laughs> I do have them. The, uh, they they didn't come out a hundred percent, so they, it looks dope. It looks really good. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. The 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 printing we have to work with the colors because the um, the orange red printing on the on the black panels didn't look right. So yeah, I mean, I'm not planning to release the keyboard in the colorway. But mm -hmm. I have given it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I have tried it because, come on, I'm, I'm, I've thought the same thing as you. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got the luxury now. I can do that if I want. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I fancy one in this color. But um, <laughs> I, ha I have made a couple in that colorway, but they weren't quite right. Yeah. And uh, so I'm not, we're not planning to release one um, in that color. Okay. Um, and you know, if we did, it would have to be discontinuing uh, the existing color schemes, which I don't want to do because I think both the blue and yeah. the dark gray black just looks so nice on the Super Six. Personally, I like the dark gray, um, but a lot of people absolutely swear by the blue. Um, the blue is gorgeous. Uh, I'm obviously biased, right? Because I'm sitting here with one. The blue is gorgeous. I mean, 
Uh, but I did, I did, I did waffle a bit. I have to say, I waffled a bit before I pulled the trigger. I was like, ah, but the gray is nice too. <laughs> so yeah, they both look really good. They both yeah. look really good. So the other thing is, I got a couple questions. Somebody asked, and they said, hey, is there? Ask them if there's a plan for a 61 key version. Oh, excuse me. That, that's um, a good answer. <laughs> that made that made him choke. He's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, uh, so um, you know, we've got various developments ongoing, and all I'll say is that um, we'd be stupid, I think, to stop at just making a forty-nine key keyboard. Mm. All right. So we've got developments ongoing, but what I'm hoping is that over time, we'll be able to, as a company with a core focus, be able to give you a whole range of different options, nice. basically different nice. purposes and budgets, you know? Very nice. Smaller keyboards are handy for portability, affordability, yep. you know, different types of tasks. Bigger keyboards are gonna be heavier, they're going to be bulkier. They're going to be more expensive. They're going to suit themselves to different tasks. Yep. So over time, I want to have a nice range, you know, for for sizes and uses and budgets. So awesome. we're not stopping at a, a 49 key synthesizer only. And if you I've got a desktop behind me, actually, which I'm doing, doing some work on on the bench. You can see it here. I've actually separated the top panel and the base panel. Um, there's the, that is a gorgeous machine too. There's the top. There's just the front panel of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, of course, the desktop is a really nice, compact thing. You can mount it on Visa mounts, and um, which is really handy. You've got you can put it on um, little extra arms of keyboard stands. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you have a nice controller keyboard, you know the desktop's a pretty nifty synth. Um, to sort of plug into another um, sort of longer key bed, but yeah, there's not there's not uh, there's not going to be a 61 key Super Six, I would say. Yeah, uh, the the there may be another instrument in the future. Yeah, and and that's good to know. I think that's a a good prospect. The other thing to note too about that desktop is that you were saying you wanted to make it maybe by timbral or something like that, but you effectively did by giving us a desktop. <laughs> so, I mean, they could be connected together. You could do your bytes and morality that way. It's, it's perfect. There you go. Fine, yeah. Right? You get the keyboard, <laughs> <and the> desktop, <laughs> good job. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, there you go. That's it. If you, uh, I was yeah, thinking about, that. <laughs> about like old synths that didn't have memories. You know, mm -hmm. some somebody in the sales department must have gone to them well. You know, it's okay. It's it's this is a analog monosynth. It's it's got one memory. It yeah, plays, the same, right. plays the same sound the next time you turn it on. So if you want another one, just just get another one. Then you've got two. <laughs> That's right. You got. Two. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's one I prepared earlier. You're spoken like a true salesman. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it's funny you should mention that about the bitimbrality and about the having the desktop with the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Now, when we took the desktop to Superbooth. I did a little Gasprash concert, um, booth concert there mm -hmm. um, for Superbooth, where I had um, a desktop and a keyboard, and I was doing a performance with both of them at the same time. And I really enjoyed it. And I, um, you know, 
it was it was really great using the two instruments together having the two different layers you know arpeggiating one and then just having the other one kind of sort of playing a nice pad or bass underneath and then interacting the two between each other um yeah i could do some nice things so you know i'm looking at how in the future we can um try and expand that idea somehow but uh, i have lots of ideas um but you know time is a finite finite resource um maybe human cloning will happen and i can have some sort of clone buddies there you go that's going to be the key to everything when you start cloning Mm. and then you can uh get multiple uh uh people working these things out (laughs) you assign to this idea you assign to that idea yeah. Imagine uh, the arguments you'd have with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Be entertaining for everybody else to watch, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So somebody else asked this too. Um, if there was, if you'd ever consider doing a groove box. And I think, I feel like that came about after you announced the, the desktop because it has yeah. groove box vibes to it, the, 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 the way it looks and laid out. So I figured I'd pose this question and, and allow you to do with it what you like well i think the short answer is the i think i think the short answer is no not because i don't like groove boxes in fact when i started uh, getting into electronic music production roland had just brought out the mc303 mm-hmm. and then they brought out the mc505 um and uh yeah it's like that was kind of part of my inspiration. I love those things. I love what you could do with them. Um, but uh, like, yeah, I'm not planning to do it in the immediate term, but I would like to do something like that. Yeah, there you go. I remember. I, I figured this is you during your, during your rave days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah. immediately what I thought of when you were saying that. I was like, Oh, I know where he's, I know where I saw that guy from. <laughs> Quick, tens quick on the draw over here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So imagine that you're on the right lines. But I think that was that was the almost <laughs> synthesizer they ever bought. I remember going to trying out a digital village, which is now DV twenty four seven, shown by Music Store, and playing this thing. Like, oh, I've got myself, you know, I got myself a house beat going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But, I love the idea of the groove boxes, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a multidisciplinary um, exercise to make one. Mm-hmm. Okay, It requires a lot of skills and it requires a firm concept. And to my mind, it's sort of um, that's for your Rolands and that's for your Korgs and your Yamahas to do that kind of thing because they've got such a diverse team of engineers. They've got such a sort of you know, pool of stuff they can pull together. That's very um, it's, they, they have such a deep history and sort of heritage. Yeah. They have all that uh, IP that they can pull from. <laughs> so if you think you make a group box, you're going to have to make, you know, really sort of the, the sequencers, the drum machines, the, the synthesizers, and you got to pull it all together in a way that really works together. And then you better hope it sells for a long time. Yeah, Yeah, because you're going to have to put a lot of effort into it, and then you're going to have to make it cost competitive. So although, you know, I reckon we can make a pretty good uh, drum machine, put a mind to it, and a pretty good sequencer, I reckon we could do a pretty good synth, you know. 
you've got to do all of those things and you've got to make it small and you've got to make it affordable you know although they might be smaller units and each individual item of them is simpler when taken as a whole these are these are big undertakings to do it well mm -hmm. what i would definitely consider definitely consider is uh a sort of stripped down version of the groove box so not a a, a track in a box machine mm -hmm. but i always fancied making a compact hands-on kind of digital analog hybrid sampling drum machine and rhythm box mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that could like you know akin to something like the emu sp1200 sp12 mm -hmm. kind of vibe where you've got real big phase hands-on controls for quickly quickly grabbing a sound putting mm -hmm. it in there warping it to fit you know having a bit of filter on the channel stringing yeah. together patterns and sequences that kind of thing always have my eye on that and I always, I, I think I'd really like to make a really good sampler slash sampling drum machine mm -hmm. that has really nice analog circuits for each sort of polyphony. So mm -hmm. actually quite a sort of, quite a brute force beast and mm -hmm. has like hands-on controls for the different samples and layers, but has like a really nice sampling engine and try and do something clever oh. with the sampling engine to give it like its own character. You know, mm -hmm. because you can get a software sampler that just does anything you want now. You know, this software's got so amazing. It's I that hands-on connection, though. Yeah, hands-on connection. Yeah, and I, I think if if you were to sum up the future direction of UDO, it's how can we foster that hands-on connection? How can we get the musician to really interact with their instrument? You know, we can't make contact in hardware. You know. We can't make, you know, amazing sort of, we're not going to make serum wavetables. You know what I mean? We, 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 there is a place for all the things, but what we are going to make is stuff that you can get your hands on and you can work on and you can really interact with. And you may not be able to do everything, but you're going to put a big smile on your face doing what you're doing, you know, grabbing your samples, putting it just like with the super six, you know, you, you sort of, you have fun, you play with it. You see what you come up with. It takes you on a journey. So hardware that helps you to, to really interact and really go back to the kind of the simplicity of music making. You think about Bryce, your, your, you know, nice collection of guitars there. You plug a Jack in and off you go, you know, and it's, it's the subtlety of the character and the interaction of the how it feels to hold. Absolutely. You know, the tone amazes. That, that's yeah. what builds your connection. And then you get onto the music making. And I think, I think that the, the sort of electronic musical instrument world could do a lot of learning from guitars. Mm -hmm. you know? The guitar market is A, much bigger than it is for sort of synthesizers and keyboards. But also it's much more mature in terms of like okay it's been around for longer it's also a bit more grown up i think you know mm -hmm. like if a guitar maker came along and said oh this guitar's got like you know six strings and then like a plus and a few little ones here and it's got an lcd display and it's got like 10 buttons <laughs> you just kind of look at it and be like yeah cool but you know how does it sound <laughs> um and i think that concept of stripping things down to the very yeah. essence of what they are 
right and then examining that and examining the, the connection with it that that's that's what that's the direction i'd like to take our company on yeah kind of giving each instrument its own unique vibe and feel and interaction uh while keeping everything very um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh tactile ta not tactile but um when you when you're touching something um uh man why can't i think of this word uh anyway but yeah so i i totally understand where you're coming from um yeah <laughs> so intuitive intuitive that's, that's the word i was looking for yeah so hey, um, let's see. Do we have anything else, guys? Because it's a uh, it's a little over. We're gonna be heading into an hour and a half. I don't want to keep George for too much longer. But if we have any other questions, any other topics, thoughts, Kenneth, Mister Pierce. Sorry, I had my I had my stuff on mute. I was actually looking at the um the Super Six one here, and I was I was just kind of looking at the the price point of, of that versus the desktop and looking at my wall and <laughs> that's always my that's always my thing where i'm like looking at my wall i'm like do i have room for a keyboard there's always room for a desktop well there's always room for a desktop hold on hold on i'll i'll, I'll just kind of clarify like the walls are <laughs> the, the walls the walls are creeping up and then i've got that on each wall and, and it goes all the way like, to the ceiling, right? That's just yeah, that's in limps. Yes, in, in most in multiple places. But um, <laughs> the the thing that I was thinking about is with the um, when you have your Super Six desktop and you have the keyboard, um, can you polychain those? Not at the moment, but we are working on it, and you will be able to. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yes. I have a friend who has both, and um, I go to his studio every once in a while, and and uh, he he. he Actually, he bought the Super 6 keyboard, and he was like, I don't know if I need it, but it looks really cool. So he bought it, and then he was like, oh, they... and then like literally a week later, the, the desktop came out. And he was like, well, I'm going to get that too. <laughs> so he got, he got both of them, and it's like... Man after my own heart. Good, good <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, and... and to... Oh, apologies. Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, because it actually has two interfaces, it has both the USB... And mm -hmm. a uh, MIDI MIDI DIN interface. Yeah. Then what I'm hoping to be able to do is you basically DIN the instruments together, and then the master um, has the USB MIDI, which is how you control it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do that with um with Hydrosynth like that sometimes. Where you know it's nice to have both connections because you can you can control through through different methods like that and it, it just keeps everything kind of fluid in the studio is there anything on the desktop aside from the keys that and, and obviously pitch bender that is uh not present on the on the uh desktop versus the keyboard uh you have a little bit of extra flexibility on the desktop with the um lfo2 you can map it to provide tremolo which is a nice little touch and we actually brought in um, new features when we brought in the desktop. So we've added a couple of envelope stages. Mm. So there's a decay hold stage. So it basically at the attack peak, you can hold it for a little bit before it drops. And small delays there add, add like a, a different character to the, the attack. Of sure, the yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. And they're quite useful for rhythmic things with the sequencer. 
So we actually added the extra envelope stages. We gave you uh, control over the analog high pass filter now. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, we thought that the keyboard users would be upset. So you can actually do all these things in the keyboard in the keyboard as well. We just don't advertise it. Okay. So is it like a shift function kind of thing? Yeah, if, if, if it's a shift function under the decay control, adjusts the decay hold control for each envelope, and a shift function under the cutoff, which adjusts the uh, high pass frequency cutoff. Um, and also, same as you've got the extra mappings for LFO2, which allows you to apply tremolo with aftertouch and tremolo with um, modulation wheel or always on. Actually, you can do that in um in the keyboard as well which is a shift function for lfo1 depth and the vca just becomes lfo2 depth but we don't highlight these they're just a sort of um you know if somebody asks oh how can we do that and then you know it sort of gradually becomes common knowledge that that's what you can do because of what you were saying about the peak shift functions i almost like yeah. It's, I almost like don't want to allow any more features. Just please no more. Well, yeah, and then you get to the point where even yourself, like once you start having a whole bunch of products, you're like, I don't even remember how to, what that mode, <laughs> you know? So so then support becomes a whole other thing. Um, so, I, so I have one other quick question about that, um, and that is uh, MPE and Polyphonic Aftertouch. Um, they respond to those? Uh, yeah, well, they're capable of it. That's on the development plan. We're still at version, well, firmware version 0.30. Okay. We're not quite at version 1.0 yet. Uh, okay. The MPE functionality and poly aftertouch response is all part of the same package of work. Um, so that's coming very soon. I am literally working on it right now <laughs> <laughs> on the bench. So it's getting there. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that... Um, the Superbooth in May 2019, the, what we demonstrated there was sort of, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed that we got there in time. You know, the paint was still drying on the instrument. <laughs> sure. we, are, we are continuously working to make this thing better. So we did a big update a little while ago in version 27, where we increased the, um, you know, the, the resolution of all the controls. We did all sorts of big sweeping improvements to the instrument. And we're going to keep doing that. You know, we realize that people have made an investment and we keep on working on it. So, yes, it's coming. It's coming as part of the, the big sort of version 1.0. And because, of course, the desktop and the keyboard run exactly the same firmware, they're, they're one development project. So we're getting there. And there'll be other nice little things that happen along the way as well that uh, people weren't, uh, weren't suspecting. There's still so a few tricks. I had a, I had a quick software. question. Um, Anna, Anna Bell, I think, was uh, the person that posed this kind of what I wanted to touch on, too. So mm -hmm. for a while, this uh, the Super 6 was really hard to get. Um, have you uh, fulfilled all your pre-orders without getting you know too deep into distribution and all that stuff? Um, pre-orders, have you fulfilled that? Like, what, what's your, like, how many of you guys making, like, per you know, day, month or whatever like that. How, how, how does that look for you guys? Uh, well, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to discuss numbers and how many in total or how many we're producing. Okay. But we are, I would describe us as catching up with demand now. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So 
for a while last summer. I don't know if you guys heard about the global semiconductor crisis. Yeah. Oh, what, what's that? <laughs> We've been living it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that effectively stopped our production for, you know, two, three months. Yeah. Um, but we, we know, we'd <laughs> annoyingly, we'd got fully up to speed by then. And we were starting to work off the back orders. So we're continuously producing them. We're steadily producing them. We're a little bit behind demand. Gotcha. But that's probably where we need to be. And we're, gotcha. we're catching up. So anyone that's waiting for an instrument, just rest assured that we'll, you know, we're, we're, we're getting there, basically. Gotcha. We'll get there. It's just taking us time. You know, there's nothing stopping us at the moment. We're not going to rush it. You know, it's Saturday today. Actually, I did have the guys working Saturday this week. But we're not trying to push them as fast as possible off the shelves. It's more important that we sustainably grow this company and focus on the quality. So we're, 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 we're making enough to catch up with demand in due course. Um, albeit, you know, when we started selling instruments, we faced down the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was literally, they coincided shortly after NAM. By summer of that year, we were in full lockdown when we wanted to start selling. Then we have, uh, maybe it's uh, you guys aren't familiar, but Britain left the European Union. Oh, yeah, Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> so Brexit actually happened for real on the 1st of January 2021. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so then that was chaotic, you know, just all good movements stopped with the European Union. And then, of course, the global semiconductor crisis hit. And now it's just about everything you can't get. Cardboard yeah. <laughs> right. to, to oh, just you name it, logistics, trucking, just it just goes on. So we've been battered in the wind by everything that's that's been thrown at us. But, you know, we're still here and, you know, we're, we're, we're working hard and, and, you know, we... I'm not going to talk about how many we're producing or or, or how many we've made, but sure. I'm, you know, we we are catching up with demand and we're steadily producing them, and we've basically weathered everything that's happened so far. So I can't imagine the next two years are going to be much more chaotic than the last two years <laughs> just gone. And if if they're uh, if if they're any better, then uh, we can hope for good things. I think. Um, but yeah, we're steadily catching up with demand. I mean, there was a while that we were quite far behind it. But now we're just regularly, steadily putting them out there week on week, day on day, nice. month on month, never rushing to make too many, never falling behind, just steadily right. working. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's, it's really nice, like, you know, when you get to that point, I'm sure you guys have been there and like created projects or work projects where you put all of the work in, you know, over years, months and years. And then a point happens when the... <laughs> When the training montage is over and you're actually doing the work <laughs> that's right <laughs> right you know, and that's what we're doing we're actually doing the work now we're actually you know building the instruments shipping the product you know working developing the software improving it so we are we are catching up with demand so anyone that's waiting for an instrument you know they'll, they'll get it just to you know have to be a little bit patient with us but they are coming gotcha I will say I can understand anybody that might be waiting on one or uh, uh, whatever it might be, planning to get one, the angst that might be there. But trust me, when you finally get this thing and it's going to be so good on day one that you get it, because that's my experience, 
But what's always dope is to hear the creator saying, and we're constantly working on it, we're constantly developing it. That is always a good sign. So absolutely. Um, but I can also understand that will create more angst too. But it's always good to hear too that you're like, we're working on it, we're catching up with with and keeping up with demand. So that's dope, man. I, I congratulations on uh dropping such a dope product in a crowded market, really. You know what I mean? And and for making it um we tend to say things in this industry like built like a tank or a modern classic or a beast of, but all those things are true. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know like I mean? my first words when I heard it was future classic. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like I'm just surprised that it's at point three. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I thought that the update, I I was expecting to say like, yeah, it's like 1.5 or something or, you know, right. or 1.1 or something. No, I, I didn't realize that. That's, that's pretty cool. No, we're, uh, what is we're still doing? working very hard on making it everything it can be. You know, it's like when we sell something to somebody, it's not the end. Nice. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're sort of here to sort of work and take feedback and, and improve best we can. Very cool. Well, hey, um, George, I want to thank you for coming on the show. No, uh, thank you. This has been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, we, in uh, our collective here, have talked about the Super Six quite a bit, just amongst ourselves, especially as I've been sort of pining over it. And we've talked about all the different things. So it's cool to have you on to join that conversation to give us some insight into all the things. Hopefully, the, the folks that are on the internet that uh, shot over a couple questions from the Facebook group on the Super Six got their answers that they want. I think they may have gotten some pleasant surprises for a couple of answers. So at any rate, I want to thank you again for coming by. And uh, you, you always got a place here to chat whenever the next thing is, is afoot. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet you all. And thanks again for inviting me to your show. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. And thanks very much. Definitely. Thanks. All right. Pleasure meeting you, George. Thank, thank you.